back to the bin. Did you watch Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D.? I'm way behind. Oh, okay. Yeah. Damn, and I can't talk to either of you about it. I heard there was big developments, though. Well, Tuesday was was the season finale. Oh, already? Yeah. Damn. Yeah. I didn't realize I was that far behind. Yep. And then uh, tonight, well, there's a couple. There's two season finales next week. I think Supernatural and Arrow. I think Flash might be next week as well. I know you don't watch those, but uh, you should really give the Flash a chance. I mean, DC gets their shit straightened out. I will jump in. I like their TV stuff, man. I'm telling you, I, I hear their TV stuff is really good, but I'm it's 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 an across the board boycott at this point. You can't watch Arrow though. I mean, I don't think you like Arrow. Arrow is way. I mean, I kind of got into that, and after I started to watch The Flash, I went back and watched all of Arrow just because sometimes they cross over, and I wanted to be caught up. So I mean, it's not bad. Um, but they do inter, you know, they do bring some crazy shit to the screen. And then Legends of Tomorrow has been, meh. it was okay when it started, got lay, really lame in the middle, and then has kind of pulled the nose up here towards the end. Um, hmm. So, and I mean, it's it's got Rip Hunter in it, and last episode really involved some wibbly wobbly time travel shit. So it actually got pretty good. That I would like to see, just because I want to see how they did Jonah Hex. Uh, I thought Jonah Hex was good. The guy looks uh, good in the role, mm-hmm. and he's and he's hip to people that travel through time. He's like he's not just you know like your your comp, your your country bumpkin. He's he knows right. who, who he knows who Rip is. He knows when these people show up. Basically, in this episode, these people show up, and they're and and he he could tell right away. You people don't belong here. You're your time travelers, and they're like, what? <laughs> That's cool. That's pretty cool. That's that must be a nod to uh, he did something very similar in uh, in that two part Justice League episode that he was in the Justice League Unlimited. Mm-hmm. Did you watch that show? Yeah, but it's been a long time because they go to the Wild West in a two part episode of Justice League Unlimited. Mm-hmm. And there's a part where I forget who all is there. I know Wonder Woman and Batman. I forget who else is there. And they're they're riding horses alongside Jonah Hex and talking to him. And at one point he says something about um, time travel. And they are so, uh, you know, they're so kind of taken aback by, whoa, you know, that he's very nonchalant about it. He just he has a line. He says something like, I've lived an interesting life, which I thought was cool because that was kind of sort of a nod to. Uh, the Hex series where he was in the future, which I thought was really cool, because I'm a, mm. I'm still a fan of that. I don't care how cheesy th- people say it is. I think it's cool. Well, one thing, I, this is a, a minor spoiler, won't spoil any any plots or anything, but um, Rip Hunter has a family, and his son's name is Jonah, and he named him after Jonah Hex. Oh, that's cool. Or Jonas is his son's name. Yeah. So that's that's how tight of a bond he had with Jonah Hex, which kind of explains why Rip Hunter dresses like as a cowboy, because he was that affected. Like he spent a large amount of time in the Old West, at at least his character in Legends of Tomorrow. So but it's still hard to get past him because it's got to play Rory on Doctor Who. Right. Who always seemed to get killed (laughs) and they would bring back like Kenny on South Park. They killed Rory. You bastards. (laughs) Uh, does anybody want to bring this in and let's get started to get this party started oh uh, yeah (laughs) 
<laughs> let's get it started. Ha! Let's get it started. All right, so hello, everybody, and welcome to a very, very special Back to the Bins. I'm Paul Spataro, and I am joined today by Dr. Bill Robinson. Yeah. And everyone's favorite Florida resident, <laughs> Mr. Scott H. Gardner. Ha! Take that, Dr. Bill. <laughs> You asshole. <laughs> Everybody's favorite Oviedo resident. Yeah, there you go. Shh. God, now I have these people showing up at my door. What are you trying to do? There's only two houses and all. I don't have enough chips. <laughs> How's you it can, going, everybody? You can feed them with Disney Infinity Discs. I told you. Yeah. <laughs> since they'll be useless soon. I was. Assholes. I told you. Whenever we, whenever we say that, though, I, I think of Raiders of the Lost Ark. Mm-hmm. Perhaps Bad you dates. could tell him, Doctor Jones, if you spoke Oviedo. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were gonna say he's gonna feed him bad. No bata. He's gonna feed him bad dates. Dates. You eat them. (laughs) Anyway, we have a lot of listener feedback today to get into. But first, (laughs) my my story that pissed me off today. Oh, okay. Uh oh. Okay, Doctor Bill is in on this one, and I I apologize to everybody because whenever I mention a a creator's name, except for there are two names I'm gonna let go through, but anybody else I'm going to uh, bleep out. Because I don't feel like raising a, a, I don't I don't feel like creating problems. I just want to uh, vent a little bit. So as everybody knows, every year I do a fundraiser for pancreatic cancer. And with the tragic passing of Darwin Cook, it gave me an idea. So what I did was I had I think it was seventeen or eighteen comics creators that I was friends with on Facebook that I decided to send a, a private message to them. And the message reads: Hello, everyone. As you may or may not know, I lost one of my brothers several years ago to pancreatic cancer. I have walked every year since then in the Long Island Lust Garden Foundation Pancreatic Cancer Fundraiser. I'm always on the lookout for new ways to raise funds and recently had the idea of offering a drawing for prizes for people who donate $10 or more. In that regard, I was wondering if any of you would be interested in helping out and providing a sketch that I could use as a prize among my comic book friends. Of course, the subject of the sketch and extent of the detail is totally up to you. If you're not interested, thank you just for reading my message. If there's any concern about this being some type of scam, I intend to publicize all activities on Facebook, and you should be able to follow along to confirm that I'm doing what I say. Best wishes to all, Paul Spataro. Now we'll start off before, before I go into any further. Thing. Does that sound reasonable, Scott? This is the first you're hearing of this. Before you go any further, that is very well well written. Thank I just you. want to say mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, if, if you were a comic creator, would you find that in any way bothersome, offensive? No, I don't think so. Within two minutes after I sent it, I, you know, I get has left the conversation. Two minutes later, left the conversation. Like an hour later, has left the conversation. Like an hour after that, left the conversation. And this morning, left the conversation. No response from any of them? No, no word at all. So, wow. so I was actually kind of upset by that, and I unfriended each of them. I, I really found it to be offensive. And I sent out a message today, said, maybe I'm just too sensitive, but I asked once and was not planning to bother anyone any further. If people don't want to do it, I totally respect that and don't need any explanation. But leaving the conversation without a word as if I'm some type of telemarketer and not a fan of everyone on this list's work just seems kind of rude and insensitive to me. That said, I will not bother any of you any further. Thank you all. That got a response within several minutes from Rich Buckler, which said, no offense, no offense intended. My best wishes for the success of your endeavor, Rich. Which I appreciate that. I thought, you know, he doesn't have to donate anything. And the fact that he acknowledged it and, and wished me well, I'm good with that. Right. I think that's fine. Now, uh, 
one of the people who left the conversation, apparently, I, I didn't even realize, he, had two, he has two Facebook identities. So he was on there both times. So I get a message from saying, buy again. And it's, has left the conversation. I thought that was a prick move. I thought that was a scumbag move. I thought that was not only being rude again, but intentionally going out of his way to be rude. Yeah, that, yeah. I, I, so I sent, I sent a message to, I just sent a thing. I said, thank you, Rich. I appreciate the sentiment. And then a couple of minutes later, I got a message from Jimmy Palmiotti, who apparently hadn't seen the thread up to that point. He said, what is this thread? So I, repeat, I said, hi, Jimmy. Sorry to everyone for repeating myself, but my original message was, and I posted the message. He immediately said, contact so-and-so at so-and-so. He can give you some signed books or prints. Tell him I sent you. Wow. Jimmy Palmiotti is a gentleman. Yeah, he is. And, and again, I don't fault anybody who's not offering anything. It's just the way that they did it. that bought Right. It. They could have just ignored it, and it was fine. But except for Rich's sending, you know, a, a nice sentiment and Jimmy offering something, uh, you know, no, nobody gave anything positive. And, and the people, there's, you know, several people on that list, quite a few people on the list who just haven't said anything. And that's fine, too. I don't have a problem with them. It's the ones who, who just left the conversation like I was some sort of diseased person. And it really did bother me. And I unfriended every one of them because I don't even want to see this shit anymore. Why, why am I patronizing them and their efforts? Because that's what they're doing. When they post stuff, they're posting their artwork and their stuff to try and get people interested in buying their stuff. Why am I doing it if they're going to treat me like I'm some sort of diseased maniac? Hmm. Am, I, am I overreacting? Maybe. No. I well, you know, I don't, I don't know. That's the thing is... Well, uh, I, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Bill. Yeah, I mean, I, Paul and I talked a little about it earlier. And, and uh, you know, maybe they just get hit with so many of these things that sometimes they just get numb to it. And that, they're not, they're not needing to be, except for the one person who was a dick twice. That's uncalled yeah, for. Yeah, that's not cool. And that's weird because that doesn't sound like him. You know what I mean? Oh, uh, you know, um, but I, I think, you know, while I politically align with him on a lot of issues, uh, I think he's a self-centered egomaniac. Hmm. Yeah, just because know. you you're on the just because you're on the same political page doesn't mean somebody's not a dick. Well, no, that's very true. It's just I mean, you know, I, I I've, um, I don't know if I still do, but I did follow him for a time on Facebook. We were Facebook friends for for a while. And so will we, um, but not I mean, anymore. I, and I mean, I have, I, you know, I have met him and I talked to the guy. He seemed really nice. So I, I mean, but I mean, that's no gauge. You know what I mean? Here, here's the thing I was thinking, though, as soon as you were saying all this is that, you know, just by sheer coincidence, I saw a thing on Facebook recently. I couldn't tell you who posted it or, or I don't even know if it had anything to do with comics necessarily. Probably if I saw it and it had to do with art, then more than likely it had to do with comics. But it was this thing where somebody had posted, it was a, a I want to say it was a grocery store chain, I think. And the title of the article was something to the effect of something like, Let, let's, let's switch it around. How would you feel? Or some, some stupid thing like that. And it was where this grocery store chain was soliciting artists that were looking to get exposure for their work, right? And it was written in this sense of, hi, we're this, we're this grocery store chain and we're looking for a, an artist to do some, um, uh, what do they call it? Uh, not pro bono, but you know, like free work essentially um, for, the, for the grocery store chain. Um, and what they would get out of it is experience and, you know, exposure on a wider scale. And, you know, it, it listed all these benefits you know, supposed uh, presumed benefits to 
whatever artist would participate, you know, would want to give their time and, and do this work, essentially. And so an artist took that proposal and completely turned it around. And he sent it out to grocery store chains saying, uh, so I'm looking for a grocery store chain that would like to sponsor me as an artist and provide me with free groceries and do my shopping for me and, you know, all this stuff. Basically, exactly what they had said, but just turning it completely around. And I saw the point of what the person was saying. But, but at but, the same well, rate, you know, I can't say that is, I... The expert is I'm asking for for charity. No, but the thing is, though, that, that's funny about it. The common denominator in both of these scenarios is that whether it's charity or whether it's this guy trying to make his point, at the end of the day, sorry, artists, I know it's got to be a tough gig, and I know you probably do get tired of people. I know, I know I've heard this from a lot of artists, that it does get kind of tiresome when people don't, they don't realize that this is like your bread and butter. This is what feeds you and to, you know, to ask for freebies and stuff can get monotonous. But at the end of the day, I see both of these scenarios that both of the, the bottom lines is that they're both kind of dick moves. You know what I mean? I, I understand that maybe there's a perception problem out there, but at the same rate, you know, the, the thing with the grocery store was, I mean, I, I think, I think it was in good faith. It wasn't just trying to get something for nothing. They, they were saying what the benefits, you know, the potential benefits could be to anyone that wanted to participate. And they weren't putting a gun to anybody's head to do it. That's the same that's, thing with your scenario. That's the other thing I come to want it is, is ultimately all they had to do was ignore it. If yeah. They want to do it. And, and that's the same thing in your scenario is that you, you presented it up front. Here's what I'm looking for. Um, here's what the benefit is. And if you're interested, great, let's talk. If you're not, thank you for your time. And I thought it was the way you presented it was very well written. So, yeah, I think that you are justified in being pissed off. The only thing that I would say, the only, I don't want to say I disagree, but the only thing that kind of, I don't know, just doesn't sit quite well is when you came back the second, you know, after people started dropping out, I don't know that I would have done anything about that. I, it would suck to just quietly stew about it. Well, that's why I said something, because I was angry. But you know what I mean? You, you don't, you also don't want to run the risk of the people that are still in it or undecided or maybe hadn't read it yet or whatever, then all of a sudden to them, maybe it creates the, the feeling like, Oh, you know, now he's getting pissed, you know? And even, even, even though that is true, you know what I mean? It's all about perception. So, but no, I think, I think you're very justified because I, at the end of the day, you know, the, the only one, and I, again, I don't, I'm not sure what names you're leaving in and what names you're not, so feel free to, to bleep this out if it's not a name that you were going to throw out there. But the only one that truly surprises me on that list of people that just, like, did not respond and just dropped out is... He was the one who, who I had the hardest decision to unfriend because yeah, I, I, mean, I like his work. So. He's, he's mm -hmm. a hell of a nice guy, and I'm actually I'm shocked... That not only didn't you get a response, I'm surprised you didn't get a, a response of what can I do for you, you know? So yeah. the only thing I can think of is, and I mean, this is complete, I mean, I don't know these people on a personal level or anything. So, I mean, it's complete speculation, but I, I'm thinking that the, the potential scenarios here are too busy. They don't do work for free no matter what it is. Maybe too burned out by being asked repeatedly for things like this, or... Um, and please don't take this personally, but maybe they did think there was there was some sort of scam element involved in it. And, and you know, honestly, maybe they've been burned on something like this in the past, where they they did something out of the kindness of their heart, only to find out, oh, this guy was full of shit. You know, honestly, which Scott, happens. I, I have no problem stories. with any of those. Right. Just don't be rude. Right. 
No, I agree with you. I that, think they were rude. Yeah. <laughs> That's the problem I have. I don't have any, like I said, I don't have any problem with anybody on the list well, who hasn't responded and is just sitting there quietly and letting this go by. I do not have a problem with that. Because they may get these requests all the time. In their defense, though, since since now becoming a podcaster and doing these shows, and I realize that's not, it's kind of apples and oranges, but in the time that you've been doing this, have you ever gotten unsolicited stuff from people via, you know, Facebook or an email or something that was like, hi, so I see that you do the, you know, Back to the Binge show, and my name's Joe Blow, and I've got this product, and, you know, I'm interested in blah, 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 and you just like, fuck off, and just delete their email. I do that shit all the time, and I'll admit, I will freely admit that I do it. So am I being an asshole? I don't know. I mean, I never really thought about it before, but maybe I'm being a, a dick by not responding back and going, thanks, not interested. You know, I, I, I got a, I got a one time I got a request from somebody who wanted me to produce a show for him. Right. <laughs> he was, he's like a comedian that he's trying to make a name for himself. And he says he wanted to do a podcast, but he doesn't have the time to edit it and, and produce it. And would I be interested right. in working with him? It's like, yeah, no, you know what? I I really barely have time enough for my own show, and that was all I said. Right, but you so responded. You I know? did respond, but I'm I'm talking like there's there have been a lot of them at this point where I just it, I didn't even give them a response. I was like, nope, I, you know, delete. And well, so you know, I don't know. I mean, maybe sometimes you know I've been like I've been involved in some Facebook conversations and like a mass things. Hey, you guys want to do this and. And now before I, I will just leave a conversation. I'll say, no, that's cool. I'm not going to take part or, or, or whatever. And I'll just, you know, then I'll leave the conversation, but I could see to where, you know, you did say, you know, if, if you're interested, please get back. I, I'm not trying to defend him. I'm just saying that I've like Scott saying, I've kind of been on the other side too. And you know, there, there has been a time to where I just leave the conversation. But I didn't really take note of it until, like, there was a few times that I had started a conversation, just like you had, and people left without saying anything. And I was kind of like, oh. And that's when I kind of noticed it, whereas I think I had done the very same thing before in the past, and I didn't think anything of it. But then once I had initiated a conversation, somebody left without saying anything, I was kind of like, well, f*** you, too. Well, there's something else that has to be bleeped. Sorry. But, you know, I, I, and, and at, at the end of the day, please don't misunderstand me, Paul. I mean, I, I got your back on this. I, I see where you're coming from, and I do agree with you. Because it, this is not like you were just like, hi, I'm Paul. I like your pretty pictures. Can I have some for free? That would I could see that pissing these guys off. But the, the fact that this was for, you know, a good cause, it was for a charity. You know, you were very sincere. You have a personal stake and investment in this. Yeah, that I, I I definitely, you know, that, there's no other way around it. That's kind of a dick move to just go, you know, nah, I'm not interested in it, but not even say that. Just be, you know, I'm out of the conversation. Yeah, I, I think you are justified in being uh, pissed off about it. I think I would be, too. And that's that. You know, life goes on. I, I didn't expect, I sent it to whatever, 17 people. I didn't expect seven people to 17 people to give me sketches. I thought maybe two or three. Right. But I did expect everybody to be a little, just a, just a touch more sensitive. You know, I, I, a simple no thank you and then left the conversation is fine. You know, what, what, what Rich Buckler said and then leaving the conversation is fine. There's, you know, I'm, it, it's just, just an, any kind of acknowledgement before you click leave the conversation right. is fine. Uh, but just, especially to me, uh, two minutes after I sent the message, I was left this conversation. He saw it and had such disregard for it. He couldn't click that leave the conversation button fast enough. See, I'm not Quite sure frankly, what names. On my list, he's the one who's auto I like the least. 
See, if he's the guy I think he is, I'm kind of surprised that he was somebody that you would reach out to because I, I don't think much of his stuff. I'm not sure who, what names you're leaving in and which ones you're not. Have you heard back from anybody? I heard back from Jimmy Palmiotti, who said... Just Palmiotti? And, well, and, 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 and that they, you know, like a good luck to you from Rich Buckler. Wow. Yeah, see, I don't, well, I don't know what to they think might, about that. I really they don't. May not now, some be, of them may not have even seen the message yet. Right. That, yeah, that's some of them don't say, check. Yeah, because yeah, I'm, you know, I mean, I may, I check every day, but that's sometimes I'm bored at work. <laughs> so, but they may, they could, who knows? They could be doing something, traveling, b- busy doing art. Maybe they just haven't seen it. Right. Well, but, plus some of these guys, I would imagine, you know, I mean, here I am just a lowly podcaster and my you know, I, I, if I can let my email go more than a day or two, I mean, I've got hundreds to catch up on. So, I mean, these guys, you know, I can only imagine, you know, some of these bigger name guys that have been, you know, powerhouses in the industry for many, many years. You know, I mean, I can only imagine what their inbox looks like on a daily or weekly basis. So, you know, those guys, I would give the benefit of the doubt. And and some of them I know that, they, you know, by their own admission, they just don't check it very often because there was... Um, Somebody that's on your list that, if memory serves, was one of the people that it took us a while to hear back from on Back to the Bin, or excuse me, on Two True Freaks. And when we finally did hear back from him, it was something like, I am so sorry. I just, I, I rarely check messages kind of thing. You know? Yeah, and that's fine. So. I have, again, I'm, I'm not that sensitive. Okay. <laughs> I'm not, you know, I'm not so bothered by people I haven't heard from. I'm just, I just thought that it was insensitive and rude to just immediately click leave the conversation. Right. Without anything at all. And it Facebook, was, and it, it wasn't Facebook like, etiquette, people. Facebook etiquette. It wasn't <laughs> like I sent something and then an hour later I was saying, oh, I haven't heard from anybody. <laughs> you know what I mean? I was, ne- I was not planning on sending anything further unless someone asked for information. Right. Or like when Jimmy Palmiotti said, you know, he has somebody to contact, I put thank you very much. Yeah. That's, you know, the, otherwise I'm not. That's no. cool. He's, he's a class act, Jimmy. I, I like Jimmy. He's a good guy. He's good people. Yeah, Jimmy well, Stewart. Especially, you know, right now, I mean, of of the people on the list, I know he's he's particularly going to be sensitive to it because he just lost his best friend to cancer. Right, right. So, I mean, that's you know, that's huge. Right. Yeah, that was a shock to me because uh, you know, I, I you know, just seemingly minutes before the death announcement, I was seeing all these things saying, um, you know, you know, everything from. Uh, Darwin Cook is, you know, not doing well to please pray for Darwin Cook. And, you know, did you know, you know, all this stuff. And then it it seemed like, like I say, just mere minutes later, I'm getting all these other ones saying, oh, he's passed away already. And it's like, damn, that was, you know, weird and fast. I can assume that he and his family wanted to keep his struggle private and that they they didn't release the information of him fighting it until basically, you know, it was at, at its final stages. Right. You know, I wonder how long that had been going on because uh, I, I met him briefly and I couldn't tell you which Megacon it was, but I mean it had to be at least two years ago because I haven't gone in two years now. Um, and uh, you know it was very brief, but you know hell of a nice guy, very friendly, lots of you know lot you know just very uh, animated, you know a lot of a lot of energy and everything. So yeah, that that made it doubly the shock, you know that. Well, there was, I mean, there was a number of factors. I mean, it was out of the blue, you know, at least to me as a, as a casual fan. Um, but, you know, it's just so young. And like I say, having actually met him and, I mean, he didn't appear, you know, sickly or unhealthy or anything. Well, like it was a couple think. of years ago. He probably yeah. wasn't. Yeah. I, I never met him, but I've heard him on interviews with Jimmy Palmiotti. Like, uh, right. you know, Jimmy would be doing an interview when Darwin happened to be with him because they were very right. close. 
and just sounded not only did he sound like a good guy, but he was funny. Right. And and just just sounded like a guy who would be fun to be around. I uh I found myself in a really weird place that that day that he died because I immediately went I keep all of the the books that I've had signed at conventions here in the last few years. Um, I keep cover scans or, or you know, whatever page they signed. I keep scans of those in a special folder on my computer so I can reference them from time to time. And I'm searching and searching and searching, trying like hell to find the Jonah Hex that I was convinced that I'd had him sign. And I couldn't find it. And I finally came to the conclusion that I think if memory serves what I did was I simply met him and, and I, I kind of wanted to just meet him and kind of gauge him, you know? And I, and I met him and I talked to him and I shook his hand and everything, but I didn't actually get anything signed because, full confession, I was never the biggest Darwin Cook fan. I, I know that sounds horrible and I'm not trying to, you know, I mean, the man's deceased. I'm not trying to be disrespectful, but, you know, I didn't want to be a dick. You know, I didn't want to be like, hi, can you sign this for me? And, you know, but I, it just seemed hypocritical. You know, if you're not really a fan, then why are you doing that? You know, so I didn't do it. But now I regret not having done it, not because now he's dead and value and anything like that, but just now I wish I had because, you know, he was a a genuinely nice guy. And the more I've gone back and looked at he he did a couple of different things for Jonah. But the one that stands out was he did issue 50 of the volume two, the the one that Palmiotti was writing with uh, with Justin Gray. And it was a really good book. I mean, it was a really good issue. And again, his art style is not really for me. And I wasn't really sold on on how it was applied to the world of Hex, but it did work for that particular issue. I did enjoy that one. So I don't know. I, you know, I, it just kind of left me in a weird spot. Like, you know, did I do the right thing or, you know, was I justified in kind of feeling bad that I, I didn't get him to sign it after all? Or, you know what I mean? It, it was mm. that, that weird middle ground. I wasn't really sure how to feel about that. But I, I do, like most people, really like his art on New Frontier. I just think it looked cool. But I could see where on an everyday basis, you know, he needed to be on the right project. Right. I think he was incredibly talented. But I think his style needed to be with certain projects. You wouldn't want to put him on, you know, like, say, The Punisher. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh the guy who who I most liken him to, but I think he's much much better than than in my own personal opinion. But people love is Mike Allred. People right, rave yeah. about Allred, and I'm I'm just not fond of it. Whereas Cook, I really did like it, despite the fact that it was in its own way similar to it. If that right. sounds right, I don't know. I see that. Yeah, there's their work is somewhat <clears throat> similar. It's in you know in a, in a more. It's not similar like you'd mistake one for the other, but it's similar in that it's a more cartoony, simple line style. But I guess, I mean, to me, I guess Allred's talents lie in storytelling because I don't really like his style at all. But Cook's, you know, Cook also had that that almost animated look to his style. But I don't know, there was more of a consistency and more of like more of a feel like you were in this type of world. I, I'm I'm doing a terrible job of articulating it, but I just found his <laughs> I found his his work to be just so much more compelling than than all, than I found Allred's. And no insult no insult intended to Michael Allred. It's just not my style. Right. So all that said, I'm a sensitive guy. What can I tell you? And we should do some email reading. Yes, we should. And our first email, which is titled "First Time Long Time," is from <laughs> Richard Shannon. Dear Paul, Doctor Bill, and Scott. 
I'm a two-year listener of the show and have come to enjoy Mike Francesa-sounding Paul sparring with the comedic stylings of Dr. Bill and Scott. Now, are you guys familiar with Mike Francesa? Mm. I wouldn't think so because you're not sports fans. He does a sports radio show in New York, but it is syndicated, so you you know you could potentially get him in other parts of the country. And he's, <laughs> for, for lack of a better way of describing it, he's quite arrogant. Uh, and he's from Long Island. so oh, I, guess, I can see why he's been compared to you then. Okay. So I guess that's the comparison <laughs> we're getting here. I, I like to think maybe the comparison we're just getting is the accent and not so much the uh, <laughs> the attitude. But I don't think, I, personally, I don't think I sound like him, but then I didn't think I sounded like, uh, you know, like Ray Romano either. And heard that <laughs> one no, no, not at all. I Raymond. do have a question for Scott. Come on, Raymond, read the next. Oh, sorry. That, that sounded like Ted Knight, by the way. That did not well, sound like you. like Ray's brother from the team. I can't get that deep, but I could do Ted Knight. <laughs> Meanwhile, in the halls of justice. Uh, so I do have a question for Scott. I lived in the Noonan area for 20 years. I was Noonan. curious when Scott resided there because I was good friends with the only comic shop owner there. Scott? Um, well, I never lived in Noonan, but I lived in Carrollton, um, which, you know, if you live in Noonan, then you know where Carrollton's at. Uh, let me think. God, we lived in Carrollton for we were there a long time because we we lived we moved out there before Logan was born, and Logan just turned sixteen. We've lived here in Florida now what six years I think. So we lived there at least ten years, maybe a little bit longer than that. Um, I'm curious what comic shop you're talking about because uh, there were I was a, a, aware of a couple of them, but there was only one. Um, that I frequented that you could truly call a comic shop. And when I found it, it was slowly dying. It was slowly going out of business. And it was in a, um, it was in a strip mall that was equally, you know, dying and going out of business. And I loved that place. I cannot believe I have forgotten the name of both the comic shop and the, the guy that owned the place. Cause he and I uh, got to be, uh, you know, I wouldn't say good friends, but yeah, I mean, we, we were good acquaintances. He knew me and I knew him, you know, on a first name basis and all that, probably because I was in there like every other day um, just cleaning him out. Because when I started going there, um, I mean, he already had really good deals. And it was one of these things like the more you bought, the more you saved kind of thing. And because of a number of factors, for one, like I say, he got to know my face. I was in there all the time dropping crazy money. And the fact that he was, you know, going out of business and also he was just by the end, I really got the impression that he was just ready to just be done with it. So it went from a point where I was paying less than 50 cents a book and being able to load right up that at the end of it. And at one point it went so low as like if you spend over a certain amount, then all the books were a dime. And that that I thought was an awesome deal. And then it got to a point where I would walk in and he'd be like, Scott, just grab a long box and, you know, 50 bucks, man, or something like that. So, I mean, during that time of hitting that shop, I believe I doubled, maybe even tripled the size of my personal collection. And I mean, that's where so much of my vast unread collection um, comes from today because that, you know, I used to be fairly good about keeping up with, you know, I'd buy a stack of new comics and I'd have them read within, you know, a couple weeks, months, whatever. And I mean, I've got enough unread books now to last me literally the end of my days, you know? So, I mean, it's crazy. I mean, it's funny. I was just thinking about that place the other day because, um, 
somebody posted on Facebook. Help me out, guys. I don't know if you saw this post. I want to say it was Alan Middleton, but I'm not positive. But somebody pointed out that Batman Adventures number 12 is going for crazy money on eBay right now because it's the first comic book appearance of um, Harley Quinn. And it got me to thinking about Batman Adventures and Batman and Robin Adventures and Gotham Adventures and all those uh, comics that DC did that were based on Batman, the animated series. I picked up almost every issue I've got of all of those animated series. And I've got almost complete runs of everything related to the DCAU. I picked up from that shop, most of which I paid 10 cents or less for. So it's it's crazy the amount of money I spent there. Actually, a book you just mentioned, Paul, um, uh, New Frontier by Jar- Darwin Cook. I picked those individual issues up for less than 10 cents a piece. Oh, wow. By buying them from that guy as he was going out of business. What was funny is he finally went, you know, he finally got out. Somebody bought him out at the end. Um, and by that point, I mean, I had picked everything clean of what I wanted. I was actually going in and filling up boxes of shit. I didn't even I wasn't even all that interested in just because I, I was kind of like, you know, I had that that addiction by that point. <laughs> but anyway, he Love finally did. I, I want to say it was something something card and comics and cards or card and game or card and comics, something. I want to say maybe it was called Mike's. But I, again, I could be I, I just cannot remember what the name of it was. But anyway, long story short, it was funny because, you know, after all this time of just wanting to ha- just have it the hell over with, somebody finally walked in, bought his entire stock, bought him out. He was gone. And then he turned right around and opened a new place. <laughs> so mm-hmm. the last I was ever in Noonan, he had a uh, new place that was closer like going like into town proper like where all the other businesses were like where hamburger alley was and all that stuff and uh god again i cannot remember what the hell the name of that place was but it was a much nicer place it was on a brand new strip mall he was the corner like the like the if it was like a regular indoor mall you'd call it like one of the corner stores you know one of the foundation stores he was like the the big cornerstone store as you went into this strip mall and there was like a pizza place and all these other places in there. But it was a really nice place. And he had um, lots of comics. Not a lot in the way of back issues because he'd already cleaned out his back issues when he sold out his prior business. But he had uh, uh, a lot of T-shirts and you know gaming supplies and all that. And it was a much like bigger, brighter, flashier store. Um, but I, re- I lamented the loss of the old one because, of course, that was where all the, the really cheap back issues were. That, that deal, unfortunately, did not carry over when he opened his new business. And come to think of it, I'm not sure, looking back on it now, he may have not have been the owner of the new business. I think he, maybe he was running it for someone else, I think. But, God, I can't believe I forgot. I've completely forgotten his name at this point. But... Uh, that uh, that place had its ups and downs too because I remember after like their first year of business something happened and they cleared out a lot of inventory that just wasn't moving and that's where I picked up uh, the All Star Companion by Tomorrow's Pu- uh, Publishing. I actually have that book right in front of me right here. You see the original cover price, the the suggested retail price on this book. I want to say I'm gonna guess thirty bucks. It is, oh no, it's a 1995. It's not as expensive as I thought. Anyway, I got it for two dollars because nice. they were clearing out stock in there. So it spoiled me on tomorrow's books. Now every other book I've gotten from them, I've wanted to pay two dollars for it because it spoiled me so bad. That was the first one of their books I ever bought. But uh, 
Anyway, that was a long, uh, rambling answer to your question. Um, if you remember that guy's name, if we're talking about the same guy, uh, Richard, please write back in and let me know because I, I cannot believe I've forgotten his name. But uh, if if uh, if we are talking about the same shop, because I, I really enjoyed shopping at that place, it was really cool. Um, also, I don't know if you know our buddy uh, uh, Mike Bailey, uh, you know who I used to co-host here on Back to the Bins with. We do other projects and stuff. Um, Mike. Um, lives kind of sort of in that area so you know that might be somebody you want to reach out to sometime and uh you know make acquaintance with acquaintances with or whatever uh i know mike goes to the um atlanta one day shows that they have several times a year has super bowl come and gone already for this year yes okay yes. <laughs> yeah because uh i know that there, they always have one on super bowl sunday that's the one i i can always remember because that's the one that mike and i went to um, but they do them several times a year. So that might be somebody that, you know, you'd run into at a con like that or whatever, but you know, just to give you the name of somebody else that I know still lives in kind of sort of the same area. So that was in February, Scott, yeah, oh, okay. the very beginning of February. I hate uh, basketball. Richard goes on to just say, keep up the, keep up with the entertaining episodes, especially the Avengers under siege and Korvac saga themed episodes. Yay. Yeah. Do Thanks. more episodes Thank without Scott. That's Richard. what he's saying. No, you were there for Under Siege, and you were there for one Korvac, I think. Under the Siege. <laughs> so, thank you very much, Richard, for that email. And moving on to the second email. Yes, we have one down. From Sean Duerden. Do you want to take this, or am I just keeping on reading? Whoa, what did I do? I clicked the wrong button. All right, I'm going to just read this one. Wait, 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 wait. wait, wait, wait. Are you going to read this? The, the... Yeah, I'll, re I'll read the, the two from Sean. The, okay. okay. Uh, yeah, because it's... Which it's, is titled, it... Love the Show. Aww. Hey guys, I've been listening to the podcast for about a year now, and I love it. I started at episode one, and have finally caught up with the current episodes. Wow. The only ones I haven't listened to are the Korvac episodes, because I'm saving them for when I read those issues myself. Just wanted to write and tell you how much I love the show, and Paul, I will be writing, or I have already written, depending on when you read this, a five-star review on iTunes. Yes. Which he has written. Being and roughly the I'll same age next. as you guys, I was born in 1973, that makes him much younger than me, I feel your opinions are in line with my own and find myself in agreement with you most of the time, whether it be about favorite artists, writers, the state of the comics industry, etc. The episodes are always entertaining, informative, and funny, and I like the chemistry you all have together. I'd rate your show A+, if I were using your criteria for rating comics. I guess that's enough ball washing for one email. <laughs> Keep That's a golfing work term. And take care. Golfing yes, term. I, I am aware. Keep up the good work and take care. Regards, Sean Duerden. And Sean followed up with quick update. I posted an a iTunes review, though you would never know it's me. I think my son may have randomly hit letters to come up with the name. The name is Otibijinji. <laughs> All right, is... take care. Regards, Sean. And I'm going to even read his iTunes review. Oh, I was posted read. on March 30th. It says, well, well, really, well, really, for anyone that enjoys listening to funny, entertaining, and informative discussions about comics in general, this podcast is right in my wheelhouse. As I have stopped collecting modern comics and have gone back and tried to fill in holes in my collection from the 70s and 80s, Paul Scott and Dr. Bill, as well as a variety of guests, review, discuss, and rate comics from the good old days of the comic book industry, when superheroes wore their underwear on the outside of their costumes, <laughs> and stories were resolved in one issue. So if you like good old-fashioned superheroes and a surprising number of Arnold Schwarzenegger impressions, this is the show for you. And it's five stars. Thank you, Sean. Very, That's very awesome. Much. Thank I, I you, just, Sean. 
I don't know how to respond other than to say thank you because uh, it, it was gushing going on. Well, I just want to say we need to stop getting uh, letters from the Wakandan bank from Prince Otichabinga. <laughs> All right. We're not going to send any money. I don't care how, you know, if I put in 10000 you're going to give me $10 million. Uh, It's not happening. All right. What do you boys want to go on to the next one? I was just wanted to. I was curious. Were either of you guys ever Beavis and Butthead fans back in the day? Oh yeah, yeah. My thing is, the the ball washing comment just made me think of that episode where they go golfing and they keep stealing. Uh, what's his name? Oh, what was the old guy's name? The guy that yeah it was their na- next door neighbor, right? Um, who who is kind of it's the, the same voice as Hank Hill. Yeah, yeah. They they keep <laughs> they keep stealing his golf balls. And they go, they find a ball washer, and they just think that's the funniest thing ever. And there's one, there's one point where, where Bayad just goes, Beavis, your balls are filthy. <laughs> just, I don't know why I thought of that, but oh, it's little things that amuse me. Uh, because we're juvenile. Because we are. We're, we're juvenile we're 12, men. We're 12 years old. That's exactly what fire, it is. Fire, fire. All right, so we got our next one here is from our good friend Russell Bragg. And Russell writes, uh, his subject is Back to the Bins 231, Shameless, Obligatory Coattail Riding Superman slash Batman Episode Part 2. But wait, wait, wait. We have a new acronym for Shameless, Obligatory Coattail Riding's Episode. Did you see that, Scott? Score. Score. (laughs) So we'll have to re- re It'll become now Shameless Coattail... Obligatory writing episode. <laughs> call it the same thing we call it now, but we'll just use the acronym anyway. <laughs> just to confuse the hell out of people. Somebody in the future will end up writing in going, uh, you know that that doesn't work as an acronym, right? And we'll just laugh. We'll say Socre. <laughs> or it could be Socrates. We could make Socrates out of it. All right. Russell says, hello, fellas. He says, great show as always. Thank for the, thanks for the trip down memory lane with Schoolhouse Rock. Yes, I loved that, by the way, our little discussion about that. He says, I have the DVD set and the audio box. What, what, wait, what? Audio box set. He just said the magic words. I see a bootleg coming from Russell to me in my mailbox <laughs> in the near future. That's all I'm going to say about that. Uh, he says, I haven't listened to my box set yet, and it's been years since I watched the DVDs. You have inspired me to watch them again. Conjunction, junction, I'm just a bill, and all the number slash multiplication segments were among my favorites. They don't write songs like those anymore. Actually, they do. I, I watched a news segment. Of course, this probably goes back. I wouldn't be surprised if this goes back 10 years. But the guy who did the songs and did and sang most of those songs that guy still or at least at the time of the news story that guy was still alive and had composed at least one new schoolhouse rock song at the time this news story was that you're just gonna have to do like a google search to find it I, again i couldn't tell you how long ago this was but i remember seeing the news article on that and uh, the my first reaction was holy shit that guy's still alive <laughs> anyway russell continues he says uh I knew we were going to uh, get to hear about Dr. Bill's books eventually, so I was very happy to hear them this soon. The very next episode, you can rest assured, comics talk about between uh, 1986 to the present, I have very few. So I didn't have either comic Bill talked about. I did like the idea of the different eras of Batman slash Superman teaming up together. It was probably confusing visually, but then again, I get confused by many of the comics I read. Personally... I never have a problem with Dr. Bill's synopses. Oh, don't, don't, dude, don't encourage him, all right? 
I think this is. Uh, I think he's joking. Uh, see, I need to start proofreading our emails ahead of time and like taking out the parts I don't like because that was completely unnecessary. Anyway, <laughs> Russell continues. He says, "I think they're very insightful." Come on, Russell, you're killing me here. I think they're very insightful. And in- are you? Are we talking about the same bill? Hey, I'm right here. <laughs> If I could get 1% of his entertainment value into my synopses, I'd be a very happy podcaster. You guys mentioned, quote-unquote, Batsman. The first thing that came to uh, came to mind was Mad Magazine, who did a couple of riffs on Batman, calling him Batsman. <laughs> okay. says, uh, I assume you guys were talking about something else. I think they did Superman, and it's spelled S-O-O-P-E-R-M-A-N, Superman. Or Superman. I do remember Superman. Or something like that for Superman. Uh, I meant to ask this last email, but Scott is always talking about, quote-unquote, his Superman or the Superman movie he wants to see. If you would be repeating yourself, I apologize, but could you explain your Superman and what movie you'd want to see? My Superman, as I probably mentioned, is any soups before Crisis on Infinite Earths. Um... Gosh, I couldn't tell you the last time I, I really went in depth about it. And I, I don't want to kill any more time in this episode. But essentially, my my super when I talk about like this is my Superman, really my Superman um, comes in two flavors. Um, primarily, it's the John Byrne Superman um, from, you know, starting with the reboot Man of Steel in, in 1986 through kind of a nebulous timeline after that. You know, I, I read that entire era of Superman from Burns reboot to when he effectively went away for infinite crisis. So what, what, you know, we have come to call the crisis to crisis era after Michael Bailey and uh, Jeffrey Taylor's show that that's arguably my Superman. But of course, you know, I, I met and fell in love with the guy long before John Byrne got his hands on him. I grew up, you know, with the late silver age Superman, you know, the one that, uh, you know, as I was growing up in the in the 70s and 80s, you know, the one that that effectively went away um, with Alan Moore's um, uh, whatever happened to the man of tomorrow. So, I mean, I, I have a great soft spot for both of those versions of Superman and, and various other incarnations, too. Um, so, you know, I, I was into Superman before Superman, the movie, but Superman, the movie and John Burns comic book Superman. Those are kind of my like my definitive versions of superman the, the superman movie i'd most want to see um it, it depends on uh, see i don't remember exactly what i said in the in, in the conversations for this episode so i'm not sure if was i talking about like a proposal for how i would do it or, or what i'm not sure but effectively i would just like to see a, a superman movie um it doesn't have to be uh religiously faithful to any comic book version of superman necessarily it just has to get the flavor right much like what marvel's doing you know marvel i don't think anybody could come right you know anybody could could seriously say that that the versions that we are getting of of the characters for this marvel cinematic universe are completely reflective of their comic book counterparts A, a lot of times they're they're really not but they're getting the the essence and the flavor right. I don't feel like they're doing a disservice to their characters. I, I don't look at any of their characters and go, "That's just not the guy," you know. I, I instead I look at all the characters for the most part, but it, you know, especially the big ones: Captain America, Thor, Iron Man. I look at them and go, "Damn, that's them." They may not have gone through the same paces or have necessarily the exact same comic book story, 
but it's them. They're recognizable. And that's really what I want from a Superman movie. I want him to be recognizable as Superman doing Superman things. I want him to wear Superman's outfit. I don't want some reimagined ridiculous thing just to sell action figures or just to try to skirt out of some, uh, you know, pre-established deal with the heirs of the Siegel and Schuster estate or whatever the hell the ridiculous reason is that they gave him that stupid outfit he's got in the current movies. I don't care what the reason is. Put the damn guy back in his outfit that we all know is really Superman with the underwear on the outside and I'll be very happy. And I just want it to be positive and thrilling and faithful. You know, it doesn't have to have anything to do with the Christopher Reeve movies, but I want it to feel like that, if you know what I mean. Again, it doesn't have to take place in the same world. It doesn't have to be a continuation or a reboot or anything like that. I'm not talking Superman Returns. I'm just talking that there was a flavor to Superman 1 and 2 that has somehow been lost. I I think those movies did Superman very right. Were they comic book faithful? Hell no. There were so many liberties taken with those movies. There's elements of Superman in those movies that you kind of scratch your head and go, where the hell did they get that from? But at the end of the day, it didn't ruin it for me because he still was Superman. He felt like him and he was doing Superman things. And that's what I really want to see. And I mean, if they really want to make me happy, they'll get the right guy for the job. And currently the right guy for the job, in my opinion, is Brad Bird. Give Brad Bird Superman. And I I think that all these things that you're hearing people say and and bitch and complain about when it comes to the current batch of Superman movies that we've gotten, I think they'll all be taken care of. And, uh, you know, uh, for Exhibit A, I'll point you no further than uh, the Iron Giant. The Iron Giant, I I think one of the most brilliant observations Chris Honeywell ever made on an episode of Two True Freaks is when we reviewed the Iron Giant. And he said, you know what? This is the best uh, Superman movie there's been since Superman 2. And I never thought about it before, but he is damn straight. That is a brilliant observation. So there you go. Brad Bird, Superman. That's what I want. Chris Honeywell and brilliant in the same sentence. I know. It doesn't happen very often, does it? (laughs) So uh, amazing. Let's keep the Russell Bragg love going. You want to read this? Oh, page? you know, I didn't finish. <laughs> he says he wraps up by saying, uh, I guess that's uh, all for this go around. Can't wait to listen again next week. Keep up, keep up the, yeah, I can't talk. Keep up the great work. And thank you so much for keeping me entertained. Again, that's from Russell Bragg, Clarksburg, West Virginia. And he's the host of the DC Comics Presents show, which, uh, according to my news feed, is back. So uh, congratulations, Russell. We missed you, buddy. Let's see. Next one here is also from Russell Bragg. This one is Back to the Bins 232. Shameless, obligatory coattail riding Godfather episode. He says, hello, fellas. I will admit to being confused when I first saw the title on my iPhone. I thought I haven't heard about any Godfather reboot. And then I remembered the date was April 2nd. So I thought it might be an April Fool's quote unquote time travel episode where you share your thoughts and excitement over the upcoming Godfather movie before it comes out in 1972. That would have been clever. (laughs) I finally thought maybe they are starting the long talked about Godfather month. Paul, we got to get on that. Says I, of course, understood upon listening. 
It was a great episode. It's always great to hear uh, Chris Honeywell. Since there haven't been any new Comics Monthly Mondays or Commentary Monthly Mondays, I haven't heard him much lately. Thanks to Paul's suggestion, uh, I bought my wife the Godfather Collection, the Coppola Restoration Blu-ray for Christmas. And no, we haven't had a chance to watch it yet. (laughs) (laughs) But she was very happy to receive it. Was that the only Godfather comic adaptation? It might be harder... Uh, to have a Godfather month if there are no other comics. Oh, well, better better end here for now. Keep the shows coming. And again, that's from Russell Bragg. I remember there being a solicitation for a Godfather comic around, around 2006, somewhere around that time, but I don't remember ever actually seeing it. So that would be the only other one that I'm aware of. So is never mind. I'll be quiet. <laughs> well, I'm wondering the same thing, but I'm, I'm leaving it to Paul. I, I, I'm, I am uh, Sergeant Schultz here. <laughs> okay. All right, moving on. <laughs> you guys are mean. All right, so go ahead. Go ahead. I, I give you my blessing. It's been what? I it's give been... you my blessing. <laughs> well, that was April, and we're, by the time this episode comes out, it'll be what, June? June. So, so it was yeah. a couple of months ago. Um, it, yeah, it was... we'll go ahead and let the comment. Uh, yeah, let the comic. Let the cat out of the bag. Um, guys, that was all made up. Um, it was actually, I'm, I'm guilty as charged. It was my idea. And then I couldn't make it to the show. And these guys did a brilliant job of completely selling that bullshit to you guys. And what I found really funny when I listened to the episode is you get all the way to the end of the episode. I kept waiting for, as I've heard with many other April Fool's shows that did it straight at the end, I kept waiting for everybody to go, ah, fooled you. And they never did that. And, you know, hats off to Paul. You played it straight from beginning to end and never spilled the beans that it was all bullshit. And I I thought that was actually brilliant. And I am amazed that only a couple of people ever, uh, you know, ever spoiled it. There was only a couple of people that ever came out to go, I see what you guys did there. I, I think Mike was one of them. Um, Mike Voice. Mike from, yeah, well, Mike Voice. And I got I to tell the story on that because I, I find it fascinating is uh, Chris, Chris doctored up the cover for us. Right. And I said, Chris, you left out the Comics Code Authority box. So he went in and fixed it and put in the Comics Code Authority box. And that's what tipped Mike off to the fact that it wasn't real because (laughs) comics didn't have Comics Code Authority boxes on them at that time, which I had no idea. That's funny. So are you? I'm wondering, is Mike admitting then that without that, he might have fallen for it? No, he didn't admit that. He just, and believe me, it was like right after I posted the episode. He, oh, okay. he put something on Facebook saying, you know, exactly that. And I, I deleted his comment and I sent him a private message saying, I want to see if anybody else figures this out. I don't want to just let the cat out of the bag so quick. Uh, and he was like, fine, you know, that's fine. No problem. <laughs> there was somebody else, too. Who was the other person? There was somebody else that, uh, um, I can't remember if it was in the in the Facebook thread or if I think it was Mike Sodolo wrote April Fool's question mark. Right. <laughs> and and by the way, just to, to take it even further, Bill let did let the cat out of the bag. At the end of the episode, Bill said, Yeah, this is all April Fool's, I'm letting you in on the joke, and I just edited it out. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, we, we just made stuff up as we went along with the art and well, we, I mean, we did, we well, did, but we it did work on that because I actually wrote out a, uh, well, yeah, yeah. I, I wrote out a, a 22 page breakdown of what, what happened on what page so that we could actually talk about it and, and have it sound like we're really referring to a book. 
yeah, but the whole well, yeah, he made the horse head look like Mr. Ed, and uh... well, what was really funny was while I was listening to it, I, I I paid very close attention to your synopsis, and I couldn't tell you what it was now. Oh, I know what it was. I know exactly what it was. You left out in the synopsis Sonny getting gunned down on the causeway. And well, that episode's I, very long, and, and it got to right toward the end of the episode, and I kept waiting for somebody to reference it. I'm like, damn, you guys would really sell it if somebody would mention, you know what, they forgot, and somebody finally mentioned it. And I'm like, yes, that is awesome that, that, that they remembered that callback. And I think that's one of the things that really helped sell it was, you know, such a big, important part of that movie is just like breezed past in the, in the synopsis. And then you guys actually eventually did reference that, that, you know, can you believe that they didn't even touch on this? And and the way you talked about it and the way you explained how they just kind of went right past it, again, it just, it really worked. And so I can see, I mean, I'm not at all pointing fingers and going, oh, you guys are so stupid. I think you guys need to be applauded uh, for how well you sold it because you really sold it as if this really did exist. And so I can see where people could be fooled by that. And I thought it was brilliant. I really did. I really regretted uh, when after I listened back to it, not having been a part of it. But um, it's probably a good thing I wasn't because I'm not sure if I'd have been able to keep a straight voice through the whole thing because you guys were cracking me the hell up. See, now what, what I recommend is all of our listeners who care, go back and listen to it again, knowing that it's fake. Right. Maybe maybe, maybe you'll find you, it more entertaining now. You might, you might catch a few snickers and you'll hear people mute out. <laughs> but that was a lot of fun to do. But now, now it kind of just does spoil next year on April Fools because I don't want to, you know, everybody's going to think we're going to do something and we're not. You know what I want to do for next April Fools? I want to find a book that nobody knows about that really does exist. <laughs> I think it's an April Fools joke, but we're really doing it. Right. <laughs> Screw you all. Just you think you have all the answers? I changed the questions. Screw you guys at home. Next, right. uh, next email? Yeah. Uh, I'll read this one. And it again comes from our buddy, Russell Bragg. Our most it, prolific writer. And it is Back to the Bins, number 234, Christmas in July, uh, April. Merry, <laughs> <laughs> Merry Christmas, guys. I'd be all in favor of a Christmas in July episode, by the way. Great episode as always. First, a question. I was wondering if Scott and Dr. Bill had Christmas comics when you originally thought you'd be having your Christmas episode in December. Well, as always, do I ever have a book when I'm supposed to? I'm sure Scott <laughs> did. I do remember being disappointed that you weren't having one, but that it was around the time of Sean Angle's passing. So it was very much understood why you wouldn't be in the mood. Yes, indeed, I did get the Vogue reference. I am not much of a Madonna fan, but that was one of her better efforts, if memory serves. Wasn't that about about the same time as the Dick Tracy movie? Uh, I would say so. I, I think that was the same time. I think so, yeah. I can't believe how long ago that's been since I saw saw it in the theaters. Wow, he actually saw that. I didn't think I've seen it since then either. You 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 didn't see it on TV much, uh, if ever. I don't. Yeah, was that ever really on? I, that was back. Dick when, Tracy. Yeah, was that ever on? Oh, was it on? I remember regular they played TV? the shit out of it on HBO. I remember, but yeah, regular TV, I'm not sure. But I know it played yeah. a lot on HBO. You know what? It's funny is I uh, I rewatched it not long ago, and that movie holds up. It, it's still a really good movie, in my opinion. I don't, I don't think I've seen it back from when it was in the theaters. To be honest with you, it's got a um, um what's his name, uh, Danny Elfman score that uh, mm -hmm. that holds up really well too. Um, I should just break down and buy it off my Amazon list. 
you guys were talking comic cons and meeting famous people. I honestly don't think I have the nerve to to go up to a celebrity slash comic writer slash comic artist comic artist and say hi. Even I've had three brushes with celebrities. Not that I said anything to them or even got close, but I saw them. Uh, first, every Labor Day weekend since 1979, Clarksburg has held what is called the Italian Heritage Festival. Uh, One year, Lou Ferrigno was the honored guest. I could see him on the courthouse steps, but I was a a block to a block and a half away. Huge crowds that day. So he was like, uh, what if he was in the Hulk, you know, growling at the crowd. Did either of you guys play Lego Avengers? The new one that's out? The the new one, yeah. I thought that wasn't coming out till June. Maybe that's well, Star Wars. Maybe there's a new one coming out, but the Lego new Avengers new has been out for a while. You mean Marvel Heroes? No, I that one's it's... been out for a while, but no, Lego. they just had a Lego Avengers game that just came out, like, what, within the past, like, two months or so? Oh, no, I haven't played that yet. Is it good? So, we got it for Logan. I never got a chance to play it. We got it for Logan uh, for his birthday because he played Lego Marvel superheroes and loved it so much. But he beat the entire, and I'm talking 100% achievement on every unlockable, beat it within 48 to 72 hours. What? So for his birthday, we got him Lego Avengers. Same story. Within two or three days of just like continually playing the game, unlocked every single unlock and achievement, one of which was Lou Ferrigno as a Lego. And when you get him pissed off, he turns into the TV version of the Hulk. It was absolutely (laughs) hysterical. Cool. Lego Lou Ferrigno. Lego Lou. Uh, number two, I saw Mary Lou Retton, 1984 Olympic <laughs> gymnast and West Virginia native at the mall. Again, I wasn't close. That's been hard. She's pretty short, too. Holding a cup, <laughs> selling pencils. Alms, alms for the poor. <laughs> May I have more, please? And she suddenly became Oliver Twist. More? And you want, you want more? more. And number three, my best and final chance was, if you know WWF wrestlers. I know the old time. Yeah. uh, Virgil came to our mall for an autograph session. My my wife wouldn't go and I wasn't going by myself, so I missed the opportunity. I regret it now, of course. Aw. I have another question. Here's the thing about celebrities, uh, Russell. Um, Dude, they, they put their pants on in the morning same way you do. You know, don't. I, I mean, I can see that because, you know, when I first started going to conventions and everything, I was, uh, you know, very starstruck and all that. But, you know, after you get to a certain point, and I would say, what would you guys say, three or four of them? Then it actually becomes kind of like, eh, you know. So, yeah, don't be afraid. I mean, they're they're human beings, you know, and, and many of them. I mean, you know, yes, you will have your your asshole egomaniacs that, you know, might be rude or whatever. But for the most part, most of them are there because they genuinely want to meet, uh, you know, their fans, the people that that, you know, have been reading their stuff and appreciating their work and all that. So, yeah, I mean, you know, don't don't be afraid to, to strike up conversations and, and go see them or whatever. That's that's what they're there for. And, uh, you know, again, you don't want to you don't want to regret it later because um, there was uh, there's a big story in the news right now where uh, I guess uh, Stan Lee's uh, New York Comic Con appearance this year is going to be his last thing that he's going to do convention wise. And, you know, once that's all said and done and, and Stan's gone, I, I know that there, I'm going to feel some tinge of regret, of regret that I never did make the time because I had plenty of opportunities to, to meet him. I just I just never took 
the opportunity, you know, and, and the uh, cats in the cradle. In the yeah, sun, there you the go. Spoon. Yep, that's it exactly. <laughs> I, I met done. Stan twice, and I'm I'm happy to be able to to have those memories. Right. Stan home, we man. we call him Grandpa Stan at home. <laughs> Stan, the man's not going to sit in the booth. We keep him locked up down in the basement. <laughs> We'll get together then, Stan. You know we'll have a good time, Stan. Excelsior! Uh. Uh, I have another question for you. I think I've mentioned that there is a Comic-Con close enough to me now that I could go. The Tri-State Comic-Con. I guess it was changed to West Virginia Comic-Con for this year. Anyway, if I ever decide to go, how far in advance should I get tickets, etc.? Two years. Well, that depends on... So if you you know if there's like a special thing you want to do or see somebody, uh, you might want to get those before they sell out or you know sometimes. How far is West Virginia from? Where is it that Heroes is held? Isn't that in the Carolina? The Carolinas? Yeah, one of the Carolina. I want to say North Carolina. I think you're right. You might want to check into that one, Russell. That might be the one for you. I mean, I have no idea. The tri-state one might be awesome. I, I that's the first I've heard of it. I mean, it might be a great convention. It's just. You know, a pool if, in a pond. If, the pond would be good for you. It's the what? Pool in a pond. You don't know. You don't get that reference. Pool in a pond. I mean, I know Russell doesn't, but this. <laughs> it's a. Uh, it's from Caddyshack. Oh. oh, oh Bill oh, Murray sorry. says to to Chevy Chase, "You have a pool there, right? Pool, pool in a pond. Pond would be good for you." <laughs> Mr. Gopher. Sorry. Sorry to bring it screeching to a halt here. Mm-hmm. Sorry, Scott's acknowledging my bringing it screeching. <laughs> anyway, uh, okay. Uh, well, the, you know, you just—I would say get the tickets if you really want to go before it sells out. I mean, often you can still get stuff at the door, but if it, it gets too cramped, then you might go there. Depending on the distance driving, uh, you may want to get them in advance if you're serious about going. Um, I, I would say in general, you want to get them in advance if if you can. Uh, because you never know how crowded it's going to be and if they're going to start turning people away. If it's right. not a huge con, you can probably get it up until, you know, pretty close in time to when it begins. You can probably get it on the day of the con, but I, I think I wouldn't take that chance if you know you want to go. Well, we, we got our Tampa Bay Comic Con tickets the day before, and it saved us a, a long line, having a, I mean, a very long line that Saturday. Which, have you heard anything back from them yet? Uh, I won't hear anything back from them until I actually email them initially. So, no, oh, I have not. Jeez. <laughs> okay. Uh, and I was that, looking... answers, that answers Russell's question. <laughs> <laughs> I was looking at the guests. Do any of these uh, names mean anything to you? Nope. Dave Dave Akins. No. Daryl Banks. No. What was the name Dave. of the Daryl that worked on Green Lantern back in the 80s, 90s? What was his name? Daryl Gregory. Maybe Banks no. is. Maybe is Banks. Because that name does kind of sound familiar, but I don't know if I'm thinking of the same person. Andy Bennett. Bennett. <laughs> it only only rings a bell because of Bennett. <laughs> Ed Breeson or Brisson. No. Ted DiBiase, the Million Dollar Man. Yeah, that one and I know. He, and he says, "I know him." Wow, he knows the Million Dollar Man. Well, maybe he could get you tickets. Eric Donovan, spelled with a Y. Nope. For Eric. Rob Dumo. Nope. David Finch, yes. Sounds familiar, yeah. He was uh, the Moon Knight launch a couple of years ago. Oh, yes. All right, yeah. Uh, Meredith Finch. Uh, I'm assuming she's the missus, maybe? Maybe, who knows. Uh, Jonathan, why do I got to say the names? Galpion? Galapion. Oh, Galapion. That's, that's why you have to say the names. Galapion, Galapion, <laughs> the Glapper. <laughs> Chad Lambert. 
Keep going. I'll, I'll stop uh, you if any of He played Tarzan in Greystoke. No, that was Christopher Lambert. Whatever. And he was, uh, you know, my son has never seen Highlander. This is something I'm going to have to correct because he's like, I've never seen you know, Dude, that I, is horrible parenting. I know. He's. I'm like, there can be only one. And he's like, what? I'm like, Highlander. Because <laughs> <laughs> he was saying something about a game. But Andrew, he, when he did that, you should have totally messed with him. What I mean is we can only afford one of you kids anymore. <laughs> and so uh, we're going to have a death match right now. Hey, I was right. Daryl Banks. Uh, he worked on Green Lantern at the time when uh, Hal Jordan went bonkers and killed all the lanterns. Look at me with the memory. I knew that. Scott with the big brain. Duh. Duh. Jay Leistein? Keep going. Brian Lovell? Nope. Nate Lovett? Keep going. Nope. Drew Moss? Nope. Tommy Patterson? Nope. Mark A. Robinson? A cousin, Dr. Bill? (laughs) Robinson. Mm -hmm. No, not a cousin. Bo Smith? Bo Smith worked on Green Lantern and was interviewed by uh, Sean on Just One of the Guys. Ah. I knew the name sounded familiar. Yuko Smith. Oh, that's great. I just booked up, pulled up a picture. I just randomly typed into Google Bo Smith, and a picture comes up of him flipping me off. This is awesome. <laughs> this is his. This is his Wikipedia face. Uh, yeah, Facebook. His Wikipedia picture is him flipping you off. It's awesome. I love this guy. <laughs> Yuko Smith. Nope. Justin Stewart. Is he related to Yukon Cornelius by any uh, chance? Gold <laughs> and silver, silver and gold. Bro lives. No. Justin Stewart, not related to Jackie Stewart. Uh, <laughs> ABC Wide World of Sports. Or STP. Yes. This is Jackie Stewart. Oh, that's a horrible Jackie Stewart. Andy's so mad at me right now. Kyle Stram. Stram- hey, I'm, I'm going to cut you off on, at this because we don't know any of these people. Here's <laughs> well, there's do, only Russell. two names left. Here's what you do, Russell. Go to Mike's Amazing World and you can put there's there's a search box there that you can change it to you know comic title and all these different uh, criteria change it to comic creator and and put these names in that's what i do before conventions when i'm looking to see like who's there and what did they work on and you know do they have do, are there any books in my collection that i might not realize that they work on and i want to get it signed kind of thing so yeah check these people out uh through that site and see because some of the names sound vaguely familiar but i just you know i, I couldn't tell you where i've well, seen some of them if i have the last two are kyle strom stram and nicholas iowa wentland and then he says i guess i'd have i'd have until june 4th to decide which at the rate this gets out might be out when you're trying to decide <laughs> tickets <laughs> at the might gate. be well after it's too late to decide <laughs> this is true tickets at the gate viv package pre-order i'd go just to see the million dollar man in person and that's not steve austin wow uh was the tampa bay comic con where dr bill slid down the hill no, no that was megacon where I slid into one of Scott's sons who prevented me from meeting a fatal end further down the hill. <laughs> I was just trying to sit down, and, well, there was a lot of leaves, and let's just say I'm a big man, and my feet got out from under me. I also got the nude bomb reference. I watched it when it originally aired. I believe you when you said you did World's Finest, uh, number 271. I think I remember, but I can't find it anywhere. Oh, well. I guess I've rambled on long enough. You probably have... A three or four hour show after reading this one. <laughs> As always, wrong. thank you for keeping me entertained. Russell Bragg, Clarksburg, West Virginia, host of the DC Comics Presents show. Okay, thanks again, Russell. Our next email is from Chris Franklin, and it is titled Knievel for the Animals. <laughs> Paul, Dr. Bill, and Hero. Great episode on Freebie Comics. 
If you had done a Superman Radio Shack giveaway comic without Scott, I'm sure he would have read you the riot act. As I now know, one of the thi- one of those hangs in a shadow box full of pop culture goodness at his pop, pop century resort. Where I met the man, the legend, and hell of a nice guy, Scott Gardner, in person. All around great Aw. <laughs> you know, that doesn't stop the fact that I was slightly annoyed with you guys for I knew covering you oh a, a Evil Knievel book without me presence. That was just wrong. And that was not an April Fool's joke. That was a real book. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know the evil comic existed until a few years back, but man, I love that stunt cycle. Cindy and I talked about it on last year's Supermates Christmas Toys episode. One of the best toys ever made. The real evil may have been a questionable role model for kids. <laughs> That's kind of an understatement. No, he was a man's man. Well, yeah, but he also encouraged kids to do things they should not be doing. But those toys were awesome. That signed comic sounds insanely cool, Paul. I also had no idea this Superman comic existed, and despite my love for Tom Grummet's art, I kind of wish I still didn't know. (laughs) Do you guys think Miller, snarky guy he is, pushed the envelope on purpose just to see what he could get away with? Based on his later work and interviews over the years, it wouldn't surprise me. It wouldn't surprise me either, Chris. Although at one time, Miller did write the Superman Adventures comic based on the animated series, believe it or not. I'm with Hero. I think this comic had been produced, I think had this comic been produced any time before the late 90s, 2000s, we would have seen a story about crated, tied, and malnourished animals, not Arkham Asylum, the next generation. Sheesh. Paul, for a great story about Superman responding to letters written for his help, check out the classic Superman, Volume 2, Number 64, by Dan Jurgens and Jackson Geis from 1991, one of the best Christmas comics ever published. And Dr. Bill, don't ever change. Great show, as always, Chris. Thanks Stay a lot, classy, Chris. Dr. Bill. Stay classy. Chris is the co-host Thanks, of the Supermates podcast and uh, also does the, uh, what you call it, the Power Records podcast with Rob Kelly and uh, is a frequent contributor on Fire and uh, Fire and uh, Water podcast. You want me to hop and over has been do... on Back to the Bits. Yes, he has. Do you want me to hop over and do a uh, iTunes review? Sure. Uh, this one comes to us from Blue Bullet 2001, and it is from January 22nd, 2016, and it's Get Out Your Dusty Bins and Have a Great Time. It's a five-star review. It says the hosts put on a very humorous show reviewing comic books from the 1960s to the 2000s. They provide some context on the book's history, including how it connects to the larger comic universe at the time. Some of the books are garbage, and some are great, but the show is always entertaining. Five stars. By the way, even if you don't know much about older comics, listen anyway. The comic discussions are great, and you will quickly find yourself able to keep up. And thank you for that five-star review, Mr. Blue Bullet 2001. Yeah, now i got to wonder if Blue Bullet 2001 is somebody who we would otherwise know, or if it's some random, you know, listener Mm -hmm. who just uh, kind of appreciates us, which, either way, thank you very much for the review. Thank you very, very much. How are we doing on time? Uh, we're long. We could. I think we could do some more. We still have. Uh, we still have five more bins emails. We could skip the Avengers emails if you want. There was. Uh, there was something I wanted to read here. If if you'll indulge me, because uh, I I was a huge fan of Evil Knievel when I was a kid, and uh, I really liked the coverage. It was funny because I when you guys brought that one up, I was thinking we've done that one. 
but I don't think we ever did. But for some reason, I can no longer remember why Chris Honeywell and I had a prolonged conversation about Evil Knievel on an episode of uh, of Two True Freaks once. I just don't remember what the hell it was about. You know, why why specifically we were talking about um, Evil Knievel. But there was a quote from him that I had seen somewhere and I struggled to find the quote because uh, I wanted to read it on that episode. And I still think it's funny. It is not politically correct, so I, I hope it doesn't offend anybody, but I still think it's funny. Um, but in looking for the quote, I stumbled across an excerpt of a book um, about him. I'm, I'm presuming this is a biography about Evil Knievel that talks about the doll. And I just thought this was really interesting. It says, uh, Knievel had an unlikely ally in his quest for world domination in 1974, Rubber Dolls. Rubber Dolls in his own image, to be precise. First released in 1973, sales of the Ideal Toys uh, Company's Evil Knievel action figures and uh, toy motorcycles went through the roof as evil mania swept through the states and started spreading further afield once news of his outrageous canyon plan was broadcast around the world. The toys were such a success that to this day, many people remember the Evil Knievel toy uh, they had as a child as much, if not more, than they remember the man himself, which I think that's true. I think a lot of people remember that toy. And one of you guys in the episode said something about why don't they bring that back? They actually did bring that back when Scotty was was uh, really little. Now, granted, he's 20 now, but... I remember when he was little and I'm thinking probably five, six years old, you know, old enough to play with action figures and not, you know, want to put them in his mouth or something. I bought him the recreation Evil Knievel action figure with stunt cycle that one of the toy companies released around that time. I remember buying it at a KB Toys and it was a piece of shit because they made the motorcycle out of this brittle plastic. So every time the front wheel had a serious enough impact, the forks would just break off. Because remember, he had kind of a chopper-style motorcycle. And so I must have returned that thing to the store like three or four times before I finally just got disgusted and returned it and got my money back. So I was really disappointed because the old toy, that thing held up. I mean, that was a good, you know, sternly made toy where, you know, it could take the the abuse that you'd give it, but not so much the recreation. Anyway, uh, this just continues. It says, such was the ingenuity of the toys that they were bought and enjoyed by kids who had never even heard of Evil Knievel just because uh, they were so much fun. The first model was released uh, was the standard 1097 stunt cycle accompanied by a 7-inch bendy action figure with removable helmet and bands molded into a grip shape to clutch the bike's handlebars. I could be wrong, but I think somewhere in this house, I still have an Evil Knievel action figure. I think he might even be a naked Evil Knievel, but I think I still have one. Um... The bike itself was mounted into a gyro-powered energizer, which, when turned furiously, wound up such momentum in the rear wheel of the bike that the bike sped off the device uh, when a a release button was pushed. After that, a child's imagination was the limit when it came to choosing obstacles to jump. Toy cars, flights of steps, airfix models, scraps of burning twigs at the bottom of the garden, anything which came to hand was fair game. The thrill of seeing Evil losing his grip on the bike, which, like the real thing, happened more often than not, and wiping out was to be cheered as enthusiastically as any safe landing, in true parallel with Knievel's own real-life audiences. Recognizing the potential gold mine it was sitting on, Ideal quickly followed the, uh, the stunt cycle with more increasingly bizarre models as they cashed in on the craze they had engineered. 
The Evil Knievel Dragster Car, I always wanted this, never had one, complete with working parachute, was released in 74, as was the Stunt Stadium, which includes a ramp and an audience painted into the grandstands. There was also the Stunt World set, which actually featured three-dimensional obstacles for the action figures to, uh, to negotiate, but the strangest of the playsets had to be the Escape from Skull Canyon set, which included a werewolf doll, lots of rocks and boulders, and a plethora of skulls hanging in the trees. Quite what, uh, what evil was supposed to achieve in this set remains a mystery. But there was more down-to-earth items released over the next three years. The Evil Knievel Chopper may not have been very practical to jump in real life, but it still made for a collectible toy. And the Stunt and Crash Car was designed to break into segments upon impact. The Super Jet and Canyon Sky Cycles were nods to the Snake River attempt. And the Stratocycle, uh, which would be released in 1977, was based on a bike used in Evil's movie from the same year, Viva Knievel, which I think you guys talked about. Ideal made uh, even made a scramble van based on Evil's own touring rig. I had that. I remember getting it for a birthday. My dad got it for me, and I had that thing for a long time, and I don't know whatever happened to it, but just relatively a few years ago, I'd say within the past 10 to 15 years, I was digging through a box of junk, you know, old toys of mine, and I found he had a chair. It, for his scramble van that kind of looked sort of like a cross between like a like a fancy dinner table chair and a throne and i slapped that sucker up on ebay and i couldn't tell you exactly how much i got for it but it was a lot of money just for that chair so i can't imagine what a fully stocked scramble van with all the original pieces would be worth but i, I would imagine it's got to be worth a lot of money uh anyway and a road and trail adventure set uh, but the firm really began pushing the envelope with the totally bizarre Evil Knievel Arctic Explorer set. I remember that, too. And the rescue set that saw Evil dressed in his star-spangled jumpsuit and equipped with a fire uh, extinguisher and radio. Sadly, one toy Evil dreamed up that never made it into production, as he explained uh, with his tongue in cheek, uh, tongue placed firmly in his cheek. And this is the quote. And again, I apologize. This is not politically correct, but I, I do find it humorous. He says... Uh, one toy I'd like, and this is evil speaking in his own words, one toy I'd like them to make is my own idea. I think it's the most super toy in the world. You wind it up, it goes like a little bugger, goes across the floor, grabs this little Barbie doll, throws her on the floor, gives her a little love and jumps back on the motorcycle and goes whizzing out the door screaming, G.I. Joe is a faggot. <laughs> I just that that's so quintessentially evil Knievel because that's just how he was. And uh, this whole little article wraps up saying, however tenuous some of the links between Knievel and the products, both he and Ideal made a fortune from their sales, which outstripped sales of all Barbie and G.I. Joe dolls put together. It has been estimated that the branded toys grossed beyond $300 million. This is 70s dollars over a 10 year period. And they unquestionably became one of the most popular toy lines of the 1970s. Knievel claimed he was the first to have a toy made in his likeness, and he seemed extremely proud of the fact. I was the first real person to be the subject of a successful action figure and toy line. To those youngsters, Evil Knievel was Batman, Superman, and Captain Marvel rolled into one. And I just read that, and that just it just brought a smile to my face because... Sadly, I think he's becoming quickly forgotten today. But for kids of my and, and our generation, Evil Knievel was the shit, man. 
Mm-hmm. I thought Evil Knievel was friggin' awesome. He was right up there with like Steve Austin and the Incredible Hulk and you know all those TV guys. Well, he because was real. He was real, but <laughs> in, was in a strange re- way, I don't know that I really realized that. Even even watching him break every friggin' bone in his body at um, Caesar's Caesar Palace, Palace, I still don't know that as a kid, I really put that together that he's not a superhero. He's a real guy that just got, you know, life just kicked the shit out of him in that instant. But, you know, that that's what made him kind of a superhero. You know, political incorrectness and everything aside, that is what kind of made him a superhero is that, God damn it, if he wouldn't get right back on the motorcycle and do it all over again, you know? And that might make him kind of crazy, but it also made him kind of a weird hero figure at the same time. And I just thought he was a cool guy. I remember when he died, I was really bummed for several days because he, he was one of my big childhood heroes. It was kind of like, you know, like when Kirk died or something, you know what I mean? It, it was just sad. I was now, recent, Just recently, I was watching uh, on... I don't even know what it was, but there was a documentary about him on TV, and I just stopped and I watched it for a while. And they showed him, you know, after he had a, a, a jump with a crash in London, and he immediately got up. He had numerous broken bones, and he got up and took the microphone, and he said something about, you people have seen the last time I'm ever going to jump. And then, uh, within like two months afterwards, he was like, well, you know, I get a little emotional afterwards, but I'll be jumping again. Right, <laughs> and 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 it's funny because the next jump he did, whatever it was, I think it was like, I think the one in London was like thirteen buses. The next jump he did was fourteen buses after nearly killing himself on that one. Right, and they showed he did it successfully. Yeah, and I think that was in Vegas. Uh, not only did he do it successfully, but when he came down for the landing, the bike actually broke into two pieces, and he kind of yes, held it together. Yes, I remember that. Yeah. He kind of held it together until it stopped and, and whatever, you know, and then, then he said, okay, now I'm done. <laughs> you yeah. Know, the, the thing about him that they mentioned in, in the documentary that I think gets lost to time is people can jump longer now. His son jumped longer than he did. Robbie right. Knievel well, jumped greater jumped distances. Like, from but the bikes are so much more advanced than they were then. Robbie Knievel is, is riding a, or when he was doing it, was riding a much more powerful bike that was also much lighter and right. much stronger that it could handle the landing and everything. Right. So it's not comparable because right. of the advances in technology. Evil Knievel was doing something that other people just were not doing and really have not done, even though people have done greater distances than him. Well, you know, I... Uh... I had, I'm always going to regret this for the rest of my life, but I had the opportunity to see Robbie jump. He was in Adams Center, which uh, from where I grew up in upstate New York was, I don't know, maybe 20 minutes down the road. And like a dumbass, I didn't go see him. And I now I really wish I had. But the thing is, while I greatly respect anybody who does this type of thing, Robbie you know, for all for all what he was trying to do and keep his dad's legacy alive and all that, just never seemed to, to me to quite have the chutzpah that his that his dad did. And I think some of that, quite honestly, and I think I think Evil probably, if he was alive, would be the first one to admit it. I think I think some of that was kind of mentally unhealthy. You know, but well, they, you they know, said that but, Robbie just wasn't the showman that Evil was. Right? Yeah. Evil yeah. Evil had this this desire to you know to have the love of the crowd and everything. Right. That I don't think Robbie ever had. I see Knievel, you know, Evil. I mean, I see him very much cut from the same cloth as Harry Houdini. Harry Houdini was also, you know, if you really dug deep, wasn't the most mentally stable guy. 
because I don't think anybody that does what they did, you know, for, for a living really could really be all that's, I mean, you are literally taking your life into your own hands every time you do what they did. So that, that can't be mentally, you know, you can't be in your right state for that sort of thing. But I think that's one of the things that makes them great. You know, that, that makes them, well, at the very least, that makes them fascinating people. And I'm fascinated by both Knievel and Houdini. I, I, I see them very much as, uh, you know, Knievel I mean, in a lot what, of ways was the, like the latter, ha- latter half of the 20th century version of Houdini. Not, not, not really like an adrenaline junkie, but I guess maybe they did need that to to do things on that edge, that edge of danger, the, you know, the, the possibility of dying from what, the, for, for what they're doing. And, and that, in but also case, the, the roar of the crowd, you know, I, right. I, I think Paul really hit it with the roar. And I think that was a lot of it is, yeah, I think there was something of that adrenaline junkie thing in there certainly, but I, I think more with both of them, I think it was more about, you know, yeah. making sure the, the audience, the adulation God. of the crowd. Yeah, the adulation when, when of the crowd. To, when it comes to making a jump, was it that evil said, "I'm going to do the impossible," or was it that he said, "I can't be killed"? Like, was he so arrogant that he just thought he couldn't be killed? Oh, I don't. I don't think so. I don't. Johnny Blaze. Yeah. Oh, sorry. I, I I could be I could be dead wrong about that. But I I I actually think it was rather the reverse, especially after Caesar's Fountain. I think I think he became very aware of his mortality. But the funny thing is, I don't think that ever uh, until that really bad one you were talking about with the, you know, not that Caesar's Palace wasn't bad, but, you know, the really bad one with the with the buses. I think that's where he started to realize that if I keep doing this, it's going to kill me. And I don't think I, I think he was smarter than Houdini in that aspect, that he realized that. There, I, I've got to find an out. I, you know, there's, I've got to find the, the perfect spot because, I mean, history is is littered with people kind of like this, you know, famous people where they get stuck. You know, they 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 are stuck in this this perpetual cycle of I, I'm famous and my fame is propelling me. But how how do I get out of this and save myself from whatever, you know, it is that befalls a lot of these people, whether it's losing the adoration of the crowd and then becoming, you know, going from one day you're you're a godlike figure to now everybody detests you or whatever it is, you know, or, or somebody like uh, like Babe Ruth, you know, that had such great heights in, in, in his life and career. But at the end of his days, you know, he was kind of sad and pathetic, you know, so I, I think he became increasingly aware of that. But in his particular case, I don't think it was even about his health or his money, I think it just simply became about his life. If I keep doing this shit, it's going to be the end of me. And I don't think he wanted to go out that way. I think he would have seen that as um, kind of a chump's death, you know, that that he he was he built himself on beating the odds. And if he didn't go out having beat an odd, but he went out having died doing it, I, I think that would have affected, you know, how what he thought of himself. You know what I mean? I don't know. There was a really good documentary about him a number of years ago before he passed away that I wish I could remember the name of because that would be uh, one of those things I would definitely steer people to to check out if they're you know even mildly curious about you know the man in his own <clears throat> pardon me in his own words but I, I I cannot remember the name of it. I'll, I'll see if I can Google it and find out what the name of it was. I don't know when you guys were kids. I mean, were were you into Evil Knievel at all? Well, I I don't know if. I can't remember if I I think I mentioned it on the episode. I, I had the Evil Knievel bike. 
mm-hmm. that you know, I had all the plastic molding to make it look like the motorcycle. And uh, yeah, I oh, wiped out on it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, wow. I, I wiped out on it hard. Those parents were trying to <laughs> jump over buses. <laughs> jump over I, the dog. Come on. I never had that. I I did at one time. My favorite bicycle I ever owned was it. You know, it was just a regular old pedal bicycle, but it was um it was a chopper. You know, so it had the long front front uh, forks the in the front. And I'm sure that that mm-hmm. was somehow Knievel inspired. You know, it was was the reason why. Either I picked it out or my dad picked it out for me as a gift. I can't remember now, but um, hmm, I'm, I'm not seeing the one that I. Yeah. I had the, I had the cycle. I didn't have the stunt the stunt thing, uh, the the stunt van. But I had you know you know the wind up. Yeah. Oh yeah. I love those things. Loved those things. But it, just to answer your question, I I was into it to the extent that when he had a jump coming up and it was going to be on TV, I was you know thrilled to watch it. But I didn't really follow him otherwise. I remember seeing the the George Hamilton movie, yeah, and thinking thinking at the time that it was very cool. <laughs> he, uh, I think he's primed to uh, to make a comeback in the aspect of I'd love to see a modern, you know, what they could do with modern effects and everything. I'd like to see a modern biography on him because um, I, I I think you know, like I said, I think he continues to to fascinate. Well, he, he he was enough of a complex man who lived a complex life that you know you could easily make a, a you know an, an excellent dramatic telling of his life story. Who would play Evil Knievel in a movie today? George Hamilton. <laughs> Young Evil um, Knievel. George Hamilton. George Hamilton. <laughs> I knew you could say that. I you know that's a great question. I'd have to give that some thought to see who I who I thought would make a really good Evil Knievel today. I'm, I'm, I generally tend towards cast unknowns for parts like that. Yeah. Because otherwise, you know, especially when they're playing somebody who is famous in and, of, in and of himself. Now when you're looking at the actor, you're seeing the actor and you're not seeing that the part he's playing. <coughs> so I, I think you're much better off with an unknown for to play a famous person. Right. Otherwise, you end up with Rich Little playing Johnny Carson on, the late, on that late show, <laughs> which was just one of the worst things ever. Well, he does a good Johnny Carson imitation. He sucked, by the way. <laughs> I remember something. It was one other thing I wanted to ask you guys in relation to that episode. I never really thought about until listening to you talk about the comic was why Why do you think he only ever had the one, at, uh, at least to my memory anyway, only ever had the one comic? Why? Why do you think they didn't make, you know, if the toy was such a big deal, he was obviously a big cultural deal at the time why not more why not like an ongoing evil knievel comic series or why not making evil knievel part of the marvel universe for a time like godzilla or something like that you know why why just the one because obviously marvel was interested because later on they would have the human fly yeah i I think they could have gotten away with doing it but i i I think realistically it was kind of 10 years beyond it past its time even for the Human Fly, I mean, the Human Fly was never a big success. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think, like, if it was 1965 instead of 75, you could have easily had a gold key Evil Knievel comic book coming out. Well, maybe he was, uh, well, yeah, I mean, it, it was late in the career, and maybe he was looking to find things, just trying different, because that was about this, when, when did that come out? 76, the uh, the comic? Mid-70s, whatever. Yeah, mid-70s. Because, like, I 
I got the bike. I know it was close to the Centennial when I got that bicycle. So, I mean, I'm thinking maybe at that point in his career, he was just looking, throwing things at the wall, trying to to merchandise himself just to try to have some legacy or money to live off of later in life. And maybe he was asking, maybe he wanted too much from Marvel to, you know, or maybe Marvel wasn't offering him enough for his his lightness. But that's just pure speculation. But that, that's also possible if, if the source for Scott's article is accurate and the toy made as much money as it did. If they wanted to do a comic, he might have been asking a, a, an astronomical number saying, well, if the toy gets me this much, the comic book's got to get me this much. And so then they're like, never mind. Well, and like you said, I guess, he, you know, they did the human fly. He passed away in Clearwater, Florida in yep. 2007. There's a local radio station down here um, at the time that they got a hold of his number and they called. They had called his house. He called back the radio station the following day and they they saved this this recording. And one of the local radio DJs still uses this today and it's called being Evil Knievel. He calls up and says, who called this number? And this is Evil Knievel. He's like, who called this number? And since then, they've edited out the uh, other side. But it's basically, you can have a one-sided conversation with Evil Knievel. He's like, somebody, I got a caller ID, and somebody called this number. And the, and, and then, and he goes, this is Evil Knievel, you <laughs> And if I ever find you, <laughs> rip your hand off. It's shit down your guy. You know, he's just like going off on them because they called his house. And he's like, this is Evil Knievel, and if I ever find you. <laughs> Yeah, you have to bleep that, Paul. Thank you so much for listening to our show, and we hope you'll continue to join us each and every week for more good old-fashioned comic book back-issue awesomeness. You can contact Back to the Bins to leave feedback, comments, questions, suggestions, and criticisms via email at backtothebins at gmail.com or by joining the Back to the Bins group on Facebook. Back to the Bins is a proud affiliate of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network, which you may find at www.twotruefreaks.com. Two True Freaks is a registered trademark of Demanzo Corps of Milan, Italy. All rights reserved. Each and every month, the Two True Freaks Network produces dozens of new and exciting episodes which regularly reach tens of thousands of loyal listeners worldwide. Sponsorship and or advertising opportunities are available. Inquiries may be made via email to two true freaks at gmail.com. Please take a moment to stop by the two true freaks.com site and check out their many other fine podcasts, won't you? Thanks, and we'll see you next week. Hello, Hello? Yes. Hello? Yes. Who am I speaking with? Who's this? Who am I speaking with? You're calling the Kingdom Hall. Yeah, know? I got a caller ID here. Who called this number? When when did, did somebody call? Who am I speaking with? Who who called? Yeah, I got a caller ID here. Who called this number? I have no idea, sir. When was the call made? It's none of your business. I said, who am I speaking with? Why are you calling me? I don't know. I would have to ask the person that called. Who am I speaking with? This is Esteban Martinez in the Spanish congregation. Yeah, I got a caller ID here. Who called this number? When was the call made, sir? It's none of your business. I said, who am I speaking with? Why are you calling me? I told you who's who's uh, answering. If you would tell me what time the call was made, I would 
Probably Stop calling me on the phone. I'm sorry? Stop calling me on the phone. Okay, what's your name so that we can make a note of it? This is Evil Knievel, and if I ever see you, you mother I'll rip your head off. Okay, bye. Hello?